0: All right, this is Palo.
1: This is Beckin.
0: We here. We coming. The battle
1: continues. This is Born to Battle. All right, we're here again. Another episode, but let me tell you, this one is gonna be special one. we're ready to battle. And the
0: You're right, Chris. Uh, today on Born to Battle, we have Robert Reed, and you know it's it's kind of random and strange how the ALS community is is so small, and it really does bring people together. And this is a perfect example of that. Um, just like I'm sure, Chris, you've met tons of people just by organizations you're a part of right
1: yeah very true it's a small world and you really i get to know a lot of other people who have been affected in some way
0: absolutely and in no way does als define any of any of you um but we welcome robert reed who has a a story of his own to share and you know it's it's again it's random how we connected but welcome Robert Reed welcome to the show
2: (laughs) thank you guys it's a it's a pleasure to be here and you know it was interesting the the thing that you one of the things you said just a minute ago you were saying that you know ALS doesn't doesn't define us and um you know that is that is something that I, I had to. That was a slow process for me to to realize that. And you know, when when you are diagnosed with something like ALS, it it's really overwhelming. And um, there is a period of time, if you're honest, that um, if your experience is anything like mine, it it does define
1: you. That's so very true. ALS really does because who you were before the disease isn't that person you are anymore because you have to learn how to live with the disease and what your life um, will be like in the future.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, to start, Robert, how did you find out about either Chris or our podcast?
2: And so I I have a podcast of my own and I decided to start looking at options to, to find guests, um, guests that were very specific to, to what I do. And, um, and so I went to, there was a service that I went to and I, I saw you guys. Actually, I, I looked at a lot, a ton of, um, possible um guests or or guest appearances on other podcasts. And finally I um I just went into the search bar there on that site and typed in ALS. And you guys came up and I was like awesome. Because I, you know, and so there are a few um podcasts out there either about ALS or or with someone, you know, by someone who has ALS. And um I thought, you know, that is something that as a guest that is the one thing I know about, and so, you know, I don't, um, I don't have a, a, you know, my podcast is not a solo thing. I well, it, it's a solo thing, but I have, um, I have guests, and so they are the topic, and so I can't very well go to someone else's show and talk about my guests. I have to talk about what I know, mm-hmm. and ALS is the one thing that I know about, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, and your podcast is called Never Call Me Again, correct? <laughs>
2: it is Uh so
0: so explain explain that title
2: um you know and and so what it what it was is i decided a couple of about three months ago that i was going to do a podcast and um i had no idea how to do it i had no idea what was involved what equipment i would need the process anything and but i was determined this was going to happen and um so I did some research, kind of figured out kind of what I needed and how it worked. And so I I got the equipment and I was, I was waiting for the equipment to arrive. I was about two days from the equipment arriving and I had absolutely no idea what the podcast was going to be about, what I would do. And I had no, I had no title and I thought, you know, um, I'm in trouble. And, um, it's very awkward to sit in a room and talk to yourself <laughs> and so i thought you know i am not going to do a solo podcast i you know i bought this equipment i'm kind of committed at this point what do i do and i i thought well you know well i'll, I'll do interviews and so then i i was on youtube i looked at a video that pertained to a piece of equipment that i have and in the video the the guy did this intro where he called someone on his piece of, you know, using this, this mixer that I have. And, um, and it was, so it was like a little skit and he was, um, so he calls this guy and the guy answers the phone. He says, Hey, this is who I am. Do you want to participate in this? And the guy said, never call me again. And so I, I I just thought it was hilarious. And um, I kind of came up and so I decided that's going to be the name of the podcast. And it kind of evolved from there that. It's kind of meant to, to be humorous in that we're going to sit down, we're going to have this conversation about who you are, what it is you do, and and what makes you amazing. And um, the conversation is going to be so amazing that absolutely we would sit down again and talk. Um, the thing is, is um, I realized pretty quickly into doing my show that um, no matter who I'm talking to, um, where you are in in life, what stage of your career or, or whatever it is you bring, this is not the end of your story. Just like this is not the end of our story. And, um, so there, there should be an opportunity for us to sit down again and talk. And so that's one of the things. And so towards the end of every podcast, I, I I bring all that up and I I say, can I, can I call you again? Hmm. Well,
0: it's a a great title. I was, kind of confused at first when I heard the title, but after I listened to a few episodes, it completely made sense. Um, Chris, what were your thoughts of of listening?
1: Uh, My big thing was how easy of a listen it is, where I just pop it on and then just sit back and enjoy the conversation, which is such a beautiful thing. I've noticed in all of your podcasts.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you. And so why did you guys start your podcast?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Chris started his Instagram, Beckett's Battle. And, you know, we had talked, we talk often, probably prior to COVID, I was going down to L.A., seeing him and some of other friends probably like every other month Mm -hmm. um and then COVID came around travel was limited and i still wanted to find a way to to be around and be in touch and make sure i was being a part of chris's life um and so i did make it down there july 4th weekend and i approached Chris. I was like, hey, uh, you said you're doing this voice banking stuff. Should we do a podcast? And what was your reaction, Chris?
1: I was like, of course, let's do it. I get to hang over to him every week. So I was all bored. Yeah. And
0: so a week after that, uh we did our first recording and we kind of had a similar story where we really had no idea what we were doing uh we tried to be super on top of it and have like everything written out of what we're going to talk about and then that quickly went out the window
2: <laughs> yeah it's not easy to do a scripted it no.
0: seems unnatural
1: oh, yeah that's a good point it's seems to have things and just kind of flow and be very organic because who knows where story I will go. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> I agree. I, I used to um and so when I first started, you know, I first of all I was terrified, you know, because it's really I'm an introvert and so it's really it's you're putting yourself out there. And um and so that that aspect of it was very terrifying for me. Um And so I would, I would, you know, do a full on investigation of the guest. I know everything about you and I have a million questions written out. And so what that did was it made it seem really unnatural. And so now what I do is I know, I know plenty about the guest. I I do, I do research and I know who they are. I know what they, what they bring to the table. And I have absolutely zero questions written out. I start out. I want to know how. How was your day? What What have you been doing? And we get we start talking about who you are, what you are, what you do, and um, the questions just kind of happen organically after that. And um, we let the conversation go where it goes. And so, you know, the reason I started the podcast in the first place, um, honestly, was um, was out of fear, and so it was very much a, a situation like Chris's where. I knew that the eventuality was I would be unable to speak. And of all the things, you know, ALS is, is, is often called the disease of losses. And so that has been very much part of my journey is that there's been this series of losses that has, you know, initially defined me. And, and so I was defined by ALS uh, and I felt very trapped. And I knew that, you know, the eventuality would be I will be trapped in my body, unable to move, unable to communicate with my own voice. and of all the things that potentially I will lose, my my ability to speak and to communicate, to share sentiments, um, to say happy birthday to someone in my voice is um, it's overwhelming for me. Um, my voice is nothing special, but it is mine, you know, and it is it is the one thing I have always had, and the idea of losing that is just overwhelming.
1: No absolutely um I completely understand with you because it's so much of a a part of us, and it's hard for something like that that you used to I uh, to leave you um my only thing is as the disease progresses and I look back always I come to a similar conclusion that the um, uh, projection of what I will lose is scary, but then once I'm at the actual point, it's not as bad as I put it to me because we're very adaptable in a lot of the instances. Um and that's just my how I try to look at it now.
2: <clears throat> I, I agree and I think um I think the reality in what you said is I believe that a hundred percent, you know. Um you know initially it was overwhelming, it was terrifying. Um ALS is it's a hundred percent fatal a hundred percent of the time. And um and so that was really overwhelming. And 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 so initially, you know, I lost my my ability to stand, to walk. And um and so, you know, two years ago, two and yeah, about two years ago, um, I had a thriving career as as an executive chef. And um thirty years of, of my life, that's who I was. And um suddenly that's not who I was anymore. And um honestly, I sat at home for about eight months, um, just kind of paralyzed with fear and self-pity and, um, out of boredom, I decided to start drawing and painting again. And, um, in about, and and I, I, produced work for about nine months and, um, in that nine months, um, achieved international attention for my art. And then that was taken and um so there again for a very short period of time i went back into that spiral of why it, wh- why do anything i'm just going to keep losing opportunity and um i decided very quickly that that was not how i was going to live and i decided i'm going to find a new way to communicate who i am and be present in the world and be included and um it is very restrictive. There are so many things that, you know, I can't do anymore, but there are so many things that I can do. And, um, Mm -hmm. and while we can do them, then we just absolutely need to do them. Whether it's, whether it's doing a podcast or participating in a marathon like you, um, you reinvent yourself. You have the courage to say, I'm, I'm not gone and I'm still present and I am still me. Um I may not be the me that I was a year, two years, five years ago. I am still me. And and you be you pre- make sure you're present.
1: Well said Robert, I think that's the best way anyone can put it. We're still who we are and we gotta be present. We're doing a pretty a damn good job with that probably.
2: I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it is, it has been a challenge, but, um, you know, I, um, I I think the thing that has benefited me the most, um, maybe even more than being active and participating and, you know, being willing to reinvent myself is being willing, you know, the, the thing that my podcast does for me is, um, it takes, me out of, um, it takes me out of my world, out of my existence, out of my reality, and it puts me for an hour a day. Um, I, I record anywhere from one to two or three episodes in a day. Um, it, that, for that amount of time, I am in someone else's world, and I am listening to their music, I am viewing their art, I am hearing their story, and I am, and I am seeing how truly amazing they are no matter what their adversity may has may have been, what their challenges may have may be, I am part of their world for just a while, and um, it's an amazing gift. You know, we all we all have a story to tell, and everyone's story is valid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I
0: think that's been more apparent than ever, is, especially as you get older. You think about the life that you're living. Everybody has such a different experience, and You can learn from each and every one of those. I agree. If you don't mind, if we go back a little bit. So when were you first diagnosed and what were some of the symptoms that you went through that were troublesome to make you want to go get checked out?
2: You know, it's, it's really funny that, um, I, I am not good with dates and times and that sort of thing but um, August 12th 2019 is it's a day I will never forget um, and so prior to that I um, I had experienced over the last um, probably a year and a half prior to that um, some some weird balance issues um, some issues of you know standing i was I was in midtown Kansas City one day at a coffee shop. Um, stopped had a quick cup of coffee got up to leave and um i got about 3 feet and realized that i was staggering really really oddly and um and so initially i was so self-conscious about the the staggering that i didn't really think about it um because the coffee shop i was in is in this area that's kind of a, it's like a lot of bars and stuff and i thought i was horrified and i thought god i don't want people to think that it's not even noon and i'm drunk you know, staggering. Uh. Right. And so I was more embarrassed than anything. And, um, it actually was not until that day that I was willing to, to accept and, and decide that, okay, there legitimately is an issue here. And so initially it was, I think the very first occurrence was I was standing in our kitchen at home and, um, normal stance, feet, you know, shoulder width apart, standing there to having a conversation, and I just kind of lost my balance, and, um, and I I almost fell over, and that happened a few times. And I thought, well, I'm old, and um, I work a lot, and so I you know like 15 hour days at the time, um, very active when I wasn't working, never sitting still. And I thought, I'm just old and tired, hmm. and so it was all of right. It's all these little things that that slowly build up to me staggering, you know, down the street that um you know it made me realize that there's an issue and so i i finally made a doctor's appointment because i you know at this point i'm just concerned and so i did that and um initially i thought well you know it's an equilibrium thing it's it's something it's nothing and um so i go in and i'm telling the doctor you know this is kind of what's going on with me and um next thing i know there's like six doctors involved Mm. and and everybody's really really concerned and like abnormally concerned and um you know and so they started ordering tests and so there were initially there were blood tests Um, they wanted to check out the protein levels in my muscles and then there was an emg and then there was a nerve conduction study, and then there was complete MRIs of the body with and without contrast, and um, everything that they were doing, you know. And so, you know, this is the age of Google. And so I would leave the doctor's office and I'm immediately on my phone Googling. And so, what eventually came up with all of this was ALS. And I thought, well, there's just no way. And, um, and so at this point, I had no idea um, what ALS really was, and so I was aware that that it existed. I knew that it was what Stephen Hawking had, and um, and so I had this very very vague understanding of what it is, and and so things really um, tend to not be so important until they affect you in some way, mm-hmm. and um, once something like this enters your life, whether it's through a loved one, a spouse, a child parent yourself whoever a friend um it it is vague it's you you have a vague understanding and so at this point I start realizing that um potentially it is ALS and so to back up a little bit the very first doctor that I saw looked at me we just we discussed some things he he looked at my you know the musculature in my legs and, and there was some twitching and stuff and he immediately said Oh well, I I think you might have ALS. And so he sent me to a specialist. And and so that freaked me out, but not a lot because I thought, well, there's just no way. And um, and so August 12th, 2019, I I went to the doctor. And um I went in and it wasn't the the usual everyone wasn't happy and jovial and, and there wasn't the group of people. There was just my my one doctor. And um, Sorry to interrupt do you do
0: you normally have doctor visits that are happy
2: and jovial
1: yeah.
2: um <clears throat> i used to you know um and so you go in and and you know they're just pleasant and friendly and talkative and 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 you know they're trying to be very just upbeat and and yeah. you know what i mean yeah and um and so this one was not that way and i had noticed over time <laughs> that is funny um yeah i think i think my doctors were always very pleasant but um
0: that's a good thing.
2: It is. And so great bedside manner, I guess, is what I'm, what I was kind of getting at. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, I went in And but you know, I note, I did notice a crease increasingly as I would go back that it just was more and more somber. And, um, and so August 12th, 2019, I went in and, um, you know, there was no, you know, good morning chit chat. There was no, there was none of the, the normal vibe. And, um, we went in and at this point I'm in a wheelchair and I can't walk. And, um, my, my initial progression was very quick. And, um, so I'm already very nervous, upset, overwhelmed. I go in that morning and he just says, Hey, look, um, you have ALS and, um, <clears throat> he, um, and then he wanted to talk about it. And I was like, Hey, you know what? I, um, I, I just, I need to go for a while. And, um, and so I told him, I said, you know, let's, let's reschedule. Um, let's schedule a visit for a couple of weeks. And I said, I just, I need some time. And so I left. Um, I went, um, I went a couple of blocks away. There's a, um, There's a park across the street from the hospital I go to that that has a huge fountain. So I live in the city of fountains in the Midwest. And um, there was a fountain there. And I knew that it may be the last time that I see that fountain on my terms. So I went down there and um, I took my iPad out and I I drew the fountain and, um, you know, put my hands in it and just kind of interacted on my terms with that space and thought. after that, um, I, um, and so I had ridden into town that day with my girlfriend. And so I called her at work and said, you know, Hey, my doctor's appointment's over and I really just need to go home. And so she came and got me, we got maybe a mile in the car. And she finally asked me, you know, how did the doctor's visit go? And, um, I told her what had happened, you know, what the diagnosis was. and. she made it maybe a block and she had to pull over and we just, we sat there and we talked.
0: It's tough. Uh, I can't say I have any experience that was similar, but Chris, what, what were some of your first reactions and what did you do your after your appointment where you got your official diagnosis?
1: Well, similar to Robert, I had multiple uh, visits and with a different neurologist. So understanding I was up. And then when they started running through all the tests and noticing the muscle twitching, the colonis, the muscle um, atrophy, over there with the I'll put some of it together, so yeah, I kind of knew ahead before the human really officially I diagnosed, and that, and that allowed me to uh, process it on my terms a little more, and uh, for me, I was just all right. And this is it. Um let's keep living because I ain't dead yet. And I think that's just me how oh, I look okay. at and then everything. I could be walking down the street and stepping dog poop and be like, Well, at least I didn't fall in it. So here we worse. <laughs>
0: That's, that's a
2: good way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to have a sense of humor.
1: Yeah, it really do. A sense of humor about laughing the disabilities I'm um, kind of ethical because if you can make light of it, it really does help any <clears throat> frustrating situation and Tell that I'm right down the road
2: I agree
0: absolutely uh, so Robert what you were a chef what was your go-to meal that you you would cook or do you have any like oh. any like food hacks that you could share with us because that's something that both Chris and I we, we've talked about in the past but never officially did an episode on it.
2: I'll tell you what, I, um, and, and so in this way, ALS was a godsend. I, um, 30 years as a chef and I, I absolutely hated it. Uh, <laughs> oh. I, 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 yeah, I wanted out so bad, not maybe this badly, but I, you know, <laughs> I, and so towards the end of my career, I worked at a couple of places as a baker and it was amazing. And, um, and so I worked for, I worked for two different commercial bakeries, um, but they were both small local commercial bakeries. And, um, and so some of the products were very specialized and, and fun. And, um, it was unbelievable to, to be able to go into work, still create, still cook. And the sense of urgency was, was different than it was being on, on a line and You know, everything has to be done right now. And 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 so, you know, going into you know, work in a kitchen where you're you're working a line, it's it's like you're on fire the entire night. It's just go, 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 go. And it can be that way with a bakery, but um it there just was something pleasant about it. And um, when I initially started at the bakery, I was one of three bakers and um I ended up um, within a couple of months replacing the other two. And so I was the solo baker for the company and um, with people in production and and then I was the baker. And so I got to work by myself, which was amazing. And I, um, I would say my favorite thing to make was, was the scones. And so when I left, I, you know, for a while I could still cook. And so I would, um, I would make scones at home and experiment with different ones. Um, do you like sweet things or savory things?
1: i my sweet guy.
2: Yeah. All the it's, above. All <laughs> the above. And so for the, for the sweets, for the sweet, there, there's so many. Um, I really like there's, there's a cranberry orange that it's pretty common, but it's really good. For savory, I did a um a rosemary walnut scone and um mm-hmm. and so I made those at home, and my girlfriend loves them i can 't make them anymore, but so now what i do i don't cook anymore obviously um, i can't um I can reach the oven now because i have a I have a new chair with a lift on it, which is amazing
1: oh I and have yeah
2: it. yeah, they're wonderful and um and so now I can reach things, but i don't um I don't always possess very purposeful movement in my hands and arms. I can move them, but I can't always control them. And so I, I drop things constantly and, and I don't want to burn or cut myself or anybody else. And so I don't cook. But I do get to sit in the dining room and look over the the island that is where the stove mm-hmm. is and kind of orchestrate. And, and that is really nice. But I, I find myself being a chef again and being impatient and saying, do this, do this and start this and start that. And it's, it's like, I'm, it's like, I'm working expo on the line. So it kind of takes me back. That sounds
0: kind of fun though. You get to orchestrate and kind of be back in that director role and you get to see it all come together.
2: I do. Um, I think it was two years ago now, two Thanksgivings ago now. Um, it was a it was the first holiday that i didn't participate in the meal the preparation and um and so it was kind of emotional because usually i did it and um and so that last time i you know i didn't and um so everyone was kind of left to their own devices doing things that they they hadn't done in a while and um it, it, i and so they consulted and they said hey you know what do you want, and how do we do it? And um, so we sat down and worked out instructions, and temperatures, and recipes, and everything. So I was still able to participate, and that was amazing.
1: Oh, yeah. And, Bobby, you'll always be able to participate in the kitchen. And my uh, one go to, uh, I always tell uh, my fiance, Taylor, is, uh, Come on, I'll make you dinner. So I roll into the kitchen and then, alright, by making me making you dinner means I will suggest you out, and you, you cook it, baby. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's awesome. Here's what I
1: want, now make it. <laughs> and that's me. Okay, now
2: that's how I operate now. Isn't it wonderful?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, there's some perks, right?
2: <laughs> and so that's that's a question that I have for Chris is you know the the whole the whole caretaker role that, that our loved ones have to take. I I wonder what your experience is with that and, and how that how that feels emotionally for you and for them.
1: I think it's the most difficult uh, part of this disease because, as you know, we're so dependent on someone to do the things we cannot do anymore. And it hurts at times because you want to be able to grab a glass of water or a brush teeth or anything you want that's with the symbol and yeah that, that rule now falls on a loved one and you always hand asking for help with anything. And that it's a whole new a challenge and the time for me to really admit to myself. I'm unable to do this thing, and after ask for help, which has been a foreign concept for me. And as it progresses, it takes more of an emotional and physical strain on, on me and my uh, fiance, who are both very capable and and always comes back to, um, and less sucks, but sucks more for one, and put upon our loved one. Then, Oh uh, for me, I wish that, and I want to work toward that day where those with their lust will be able to have in-home, our painting, and not just 30 or 40 hours, but the whole time working. That allows all of our relationships to continue to be what they originally were with our loved ones and friends. I
2: agree. I um you know, the worst, the worst part of the day I was diagnosed. Um, and so when I, when I told Heather that, you know, look, I, I have ALS and and this is, this is what that means. Um, and so she pulled over and we are sitting on the side of the road. And, um, the thing that was in my mind, the thing that I was thinking about was what I, what I was going to have to ask of her. Um, the The commitment, the responsibility um, and it was heartbreaking to know that um you know we 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 had these dreams, we had these goals we had um we had so many plans and um to 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 understand you know as a as a rational adult that um some of these things will never happen um, was devastating because. When, when you are in love or, or when you are with someone or you're in a friendship or or whatever the situation is and that dynamic changes that drastically, um, there, you know, for me, there, there was this sense of, of guilt and, you know, a lot of pain and, and understanding that, you know, my life and, and the way my life would be would affect someone so badly. Um, emotionally, um, physically the toil, the, the commitment, the extra duty, um, you, you now have a 160 pound child, um, that you have to take care of. And, um, you know, and that was, a that was another issue with me, um, early on is, um, I had a, I had a very, I had a very public and very social life. Um, you know, and so I was always out and about, I was working, um, well-known in the, in the, in the restaurant industry in, in the city. And, um, a lot of friends, a lot of acquaintances. And, um, and so once the, the wheelchair hit and, the uh, the uncontrollable staggering and, you know, my feet flopping when I walked and tripping and falling down, it, it became embarrassing and I, I did not want to go out. And, um, more than anything i did not want to have that conversation with someone um i have found that um people are very comfortable um walking up to someone they never seen before and saying what's wrong with you and um and it made me very self-conscious i did not want to have that conversation i did not want to um you know and, and the thing is is i honestly at first didn't want to have that conversation because I didn't want to see the look on someone's face when they said, "You know, what's wrong with you?" And I said, "Well, I have ALS." Um, what's what's what was what was kind of hilarious a couple of times is someone walked up and asked, and I told them, and they're like, "Well, what's that?" And um, and so then I'm explaining, and they don't get it, and um, they're like, "Well, you'll be okay." <laughs> and 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 i won't and but thank you for asking and um it got to a point for me that i was very self-conscious and um i started to and this is why i started to to paint and draw i um i got to a point where i started to feel like um even most of the people who knew me and had known me a long time no longer viewed me as me or as a man or as a person. I, I kind of became the chair. I became a piece of furniture. And so, you know, in a grocery store, someone, um, one day stranger grabbed the handles of my chair and moved me like I was an abandoned cart. Um, I've had people once one person made fun of me in public, you know when I was first diagnosed, and that was devastating and it it put me back a- lo- a long way. I couldn't go out. I was just so devastated by that. Most people have been incredibly kind, but um you start getting this sense of I don't exist in the way that I existed and and i and and I got angry and I was upset and I was bitter, and I was very hurt, and I thought. I need to show the world that this is not who I am. I need to show myself that I am not a chair. I am a man. I'm Robert. And so I started painting. I started drawing and, um, it went, went fabulously. And, um, that, that was taken. My, my purposeful movement was gone. I, I was unable to create and I thought, you know, um, it is so easy to get caught up in, you know, fear of of things and fear of life and fear of putting yourself out there. And so many people deal with, um, you know, self-esteem issues. They, they deal with apprehensions. And I thought, you know, um, I have nothing to lose. You know, I have absolutely nothing to lose by putting myself out there. Um, I have everything to lose by not putting myself out there. Um, I become that chair. I embrace that idea of I am no longer me. I am no longer whole. And and I am very whole. I am very whole. And, um, and I wanted to be present. And I, I didn't want to be the guy with ALS. I didn't want to be the guy who was dying. I did not want to be the chair that we put in the corner. So that it's not in the way. Um, I want it to be me and, um, I wanted to encourage people. I wanted people to know that, um, essentially I think any excuse that you have for not trying to accomplish the things that you are passionate about or love in this world. Um, I think it's BS I feel for you and I've been there, but honestly, I think it's BS because, um, if, if, if Chris and I can sit here and have this conversation with the situation we are in, if we can do this, what can you do? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think everybody is amazing. And I think everybody has something that they, they shine at. And I think that you should be willing to put fears and apprehensions and, and insecurities aside and just do it. Live it, live Live like this is the only life you have because it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Well because when you look at people and they're afraid, um, maybe, maybe put themselves out there or failure or whatever, maybe. I think in our situation, at least approach and approach, we can make what's the worst. That could happen. Really, <laughs> really happy. We got ALS. Less probably up there. So anything else, always oh, better. If I get a funny look at someone, that ain't as bad as what I got. So who cares? I got nice wheels on my wheelchair. <laughs> and when you're standing in line at a restaurant or to get the anyway. hey i'm always sitting <laughs> never tired never get tired on walks or nothing so i'm all for it
2: no that's, that's um it's <clears throat> funny you were talking about your chair i um I went. You have to have a sense of humor. I, um, oh yeah. We went, and so this was a, a few months pre-pandemic. We went to a restaurant in Midtown, Kansas City, and we go in, and the lower dining room is closed, and so I'm in a wheelchair. And at that point, I I was still in a in a manual wheelchair, and and so the the waiter looks at us and says, "Can you eat upstairs?" And right, and I'm thinking. So you oh. have a str- how strong is your back? Because huh. um, we can make this happen. If, uh-huh. if, if if you've got a strong back, we can get me up there. But um, I, um, you know, I find that people, um, I, I love that you guys are, are doing the show that you're doing because I think one of the things that people need to, to potentially be aware of with someone with ALS or MS or, any disability at all that um we um we're not scary we don't bite um and you do not have to be uncomfortable um questions you know with me questions are absolutely okay um approaching me is absolutely okay um and and i i understand i have learned that people are incredibly uncomfortable and they do not know how to initiate conversation or or whatever and I don't want people to be uncomfortable. I, I want you to talk to me like you would if I was standing there in front of you. Um, and I know that it's difficult, but um, I, I do what I can to, to try to keep that communication, you know, very positive and very open, open and I, I try to be accessible. Kids are the best.
1: They um, are.
2: Yeah. A kid will say absolutely anything and and i love that I, I i want you to ask questions i i want to be the reason that when you are our age um you you know that it's okay to to interact and to speak to someone um, who's different
1: mm-hmm. i can remember one and then when there was a, a young kid who saw me my virtue and he was asking his parents about what's wrong with them. So I stopped and spun my witch in the circle and took it back with a little rig line and the kid was so impressed and his despaired he wanted a witch like mine. So I hope he never has one but right there in the moment yeah that's a great time. and wasn't afraid like you can mentioning. just curious and taking in all of the world and what we have about right him.
2: and so you're um you're training for a marathon and um and so hopefully that will that will take place as soon as the the world has has you know gotten whole again but um that chair is pretty amazing. And so I, I I follow you on Instagram, and so I've seen the videos. I've seen the chair, and I'm just like, I need one of those. And, and so I, I could I, you know I absolutely could could use one of those. And
1: it's um, really sweet. I tell you, you just got to find someone who is insane enough to push you or walk with you. <laughs>
2: how How long is that marathon
1: um a point two miles a so full marathon wow yeah oh go ahead
2: i have a, a an acquaintance who and so he was pretty athletic um i'd say forties and um a runner the the whole thing and so he, he trained quite, for quite a while and then ran a 26-mile marathon and um, said it was just grueling. It was, it was like one of the hardest experiences of his life. And so it's amazing to me that you're about to participate in that. Um, that's unbelievable.
1: It's um, a really cool thing to think about but I always tell people with my a competitive background and being an athlete in high school and in college. I love the training aspects, of Mover running. I mm-hmm. uh, at 10 miles or uh, 13 miles or uh, five miles one day. I love that all as much because it's um. It's an entire journey. Kind of like ALS, there's a lot to it, but I want to prepare and do everything for the a big final marathon. always with the breeze. It'll be a basic cake, and it's <laughs> funny. I said that, and I don't do any work. I just said, my man Bobby, I should do all the work. <laughs>
0: it really is just a breeze for you. You just That's feel that awesome.
2: breeze. <laughs> That's awesome, though. And so was was running, your was that your sport?
1: I uh, do no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I played a baseball and basketball in the baseball and college. Oh, but I continued to play a basketball up and down. I was diagnosed um, running. I never really enjoyed running more than a two, three miles here and there. So I was still, if I were to <laughs> working late, I don't think I would ever run a marathon. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, I wouldn't either. I, um... I, and so I used to, I, I said earlier, I was really active. And so I used to do, um, pull-ups, burpees, um, and, and I ran for a while and, and only like two or three miles at, you know, a day. And, um, it feels amazing. Like when you're done for like <laughs> a minute, but it, I hated it. It sucked. And oh. I thought, man, um, but I would love to do that now. Um, yeah. I would, I would love to be in that chair with you, or, or one like it. And that just sounds amazing.
1: There's something about just uh, being in the chair, and it's so calming. And maybe I'm weird because I love a go for a car ride. I love driving. it's the same thing almost for me. Too. Enjoying and taking everything in and that's around me. And then always listening to our bodies, our footsteps and his breathing and kind of seeing how quick it's going, when it's slowing down, where it's at. So I look at everything about what he's doing and try to be very, very present for the whole experience for uh, they're going?
0: definitely well robert maybe you need to find somebody active (laughs) enough to to push you around
2: i i might um and so we did um here locally we had the um and so i know it's a it's like an international event we had the um the als walk this year and so it was walk your way and um i had just gotten my new chair Um, and so prior to this chair, I had a, a loaner chair from the ALS, Mm. um, association and, um, it was a great chair, but you know, these chairs are are built specifically for your body, your measurements and, um, in, in your condition. And, um, I got this one right before the walk and, um, we had just moved to a new neighborhood. And so we, we sold our house. We were in a two story house and I was trapped on the first floor and everything good, everything good yeah. was upstairs, except wow. for the kitchen. I was right there. And that was amazing. So we got this new house and it's one level. We built a ramp. I, I got my new chair and the ALS walk came and it was such a beautiful day. And and we got to go out and um, it was liberating. It was just, and it, and it was exactly what you were saying about mm-hmm. just feeling that breeze on your face and being present and you know, it didn't matter that day at all that I wasn't able to walk. Um, what mattered was that I was I was present, I was able to participate, I, I got to spend that time with somebody that I love and admire very much. And and the fact that that I had somebody there that felt that way about me and was willing to participate in something so important. Um being out and in, in being active is is amazing. And, um, you know, I, uh, that's weird. You know, I've never thought about it, but I think that's the, the one thing, you know, as active as I was and and as, you know, I was very physical, physically athletic. Um, I don't miss that. If I'm able to go somewhere in my chair, even if it's just around the block, um, I, I still feel like I'm alive. It's amazing.
1: And that's a very big thing. And, It takes so much courage because some people never leave their bed, let alone their house. So, I always try to find a reason every day and get out of the bed into my water because there's so much out there in the world to experience, whether our flowers are coming into the bloom, or just birds chirping, or people honking at one another. It's you yeah, this disease and it's taking everything physically away from me, but my mind can still be 100% stimulated the same way by the world and all the beautiful people in itself much fun you to get out in the ball and always saying to yourself, "You're gonna enjoy it and, and experience what's out there."
2: Yeah, you were talking about flowers. We um, and so in our yeah. new place, we have a we have a like a big deck that came with you know it was there. It was and they did a really good job on that deck, but it's huge. And so I and there's a sliding glass door. I can get my chair through there. And in the, the summer and spring, I get to go out and sit out there. And um, and so we, we got flowers this year early on and planted them. And those things just would not give up. They just bloomed and bloomed and bloomed and bloomed. And, you know, it's one of those very basic, simple things in life that... You know, two years ago, I didn't stop and enjoy those things. I didn't, mm-hmm. um, I was busy, I was driven and and life was hectic and it was full. And, you know, that's kind of one of the blessings is that I, I <laughs> you know, I've been able to slow down. I've been able to yeah. stop and smell the flowers, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, thought,
0: uh... I mean, a... something, something you guys both have led on to is that you're really appreciating and valuing all the moments and experiences that life are is happening right in front of you even the little things and i think a lot of people can learn from that because we do get caught up in the day to day and what we're doing but we don't sit back and like take in how amazing every little thing that we do mm-hmm. really is
1: no no too.
2: nate what's the what's the most amazing thing in your life right now
1: oh good oh, question.
0: that is a good question um wow you really put me on the spot uh i have a lot going on so i have a lot of firsts i guess you could say i'm i'm about to sell my condo that actually just sold on monday so okay, that's
1: man.
0: that's pretty exciting um trying to figure out buying a house of my first actual house and not a condo and um, trying to appreciate that experience, even though it can be stressful. <laughs> oh, it's um, going to be amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it when it happens. And, um, you know, one thing that it's been amazing for me to be a part of is, I mean, part of Beckett's life, honestly, Chris's life I've seen him and within the last year honestly within the last like 9 months done so much more with life than probably 90% of the world and kind of going back on what you've said on just putting yourself out there kind of breaking down that barrier of feeling uncomfortable or or not wanting to do things prior to Chris's diagnosis, he was, he was a private guy. Like he would talk to his friends about things, but he wouldn't really put himself out there. But like, he wasn't on social media. He wasn't really doing any of that. And he got to a point where he was like, you know what? I I got my story to tell. I'm gonna put it out there for everyone to see. If they want to see it, great. If not, who cares? Um, mm-hmm. So I've, I've seen my best friend uh, on TV. <laughs> Where I I haven't seen very many people I know on TV, so uh, it's been a, a great experience for myself as well to to just be a part of everything that Chris is doing. So,
2: Chris, you were you were on Ellen, weren't you?
1: Yeah, we were. Mm-hmm.
2: That's pretty awesome. So, so did did you enjoy it?
1: I did, and it happened so quickly too. It was like. A boom, 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 and before we knew it, it was over, and we were both asleep. I and I, both looked at each other, and we're like, I don't remember a single thing I said. <laughs> we blacked out. <laughs> she she has done.
2: She's had a lot of guests, um, with ALS, and so there's been a lot of awareness, um through her show. And and so that, um, I was thinking about that the other day, I saw that and I thought, wow. Um, and so I thought, you know, that's awesome that you've had that experience. And I was also thinking that, um, you know, we are so fortunate that, um, you know, people like her and people like you and, and people like you, Nate, that, um, so many people are making the world aware uh, of what ALS is and, and, you know, it, um, I I think that's the, the level of hope that I have is that, um, people are, people are not going to be in the situation that I was in that, um, you know, it's a terrible thing to, to realize that you are so busy and so self-absorbed and, you know, unwilling to stop and smell the flowers. And then, you are diagnosed with a disease that is becoming increasingly common, um, especially in veterans that, um, and so you're, you're diagnosed with this disease that for all intents and purposes, you haven't taken the time to find out about you. You don't know anything. And um, I recall being a little ashamed that, um, that I wasn't more aware. And I thought, you know, um, I need to, to maybe be more aware of, of people. And and what they endure and what they go through. And um, you know, it's funny is um I um and so when I was first diagnosed and in the chair, I you know, I had a couple of friends that um kind of like you guys and so best friends and we just you know, we call and we're getting older and we 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 call each other in the morning and we gripe about our ailments and our old age and, and they would find them still themselves still calling me and complaining about their lives or their um their ailments. And then, you know, midway in the conversation, they would be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, that's that's okay because ALS doesn't mean we're not friends anymore. It doesn't mean that my problems are more valid than yours or or bigger. They're just different. Um and so I really enjoy that um so many people are are spreading the word and, and making people like me who you know, would have otherwise been unaware, aware.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's a big thing. All I want to do with uh, my experience in life with a lesson, I spread more awareness. So one day other people won't get the diagnosis every time have their life shattered, right? It's a thing of the past. And that's all it takes with the squeaky wheel I guess all. And um I doing that in a positive way. It's showing everything and everyone. Yeah, I have a lot, But so what? It makes my life a little well, a lot different than the other one. It's so one way. Hopefully, my mind is still all there and I can do everything and else can do it with a little bit more of ingenuity to get it done.
2: Oh, I think we might have something else in common, too. Are are you a Lakers fan?
1: I I am. I think, amazingly, as I've grown, I'm a, a fan of basketball and I recognize um, our great possible and also uh, being here in LA now, the energy is very captivating and and just um, everyone around you with all their energy and so negating and plus, the stand-up for Lakers game is pretty awesome. Yeah. So, and to answer your, for, to answer your question, yeah.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. Nate, are you, are you a Lakers fan?
0: So, I'm actually a Portland Trailblazers fan. Chris and I both grew up in Portland. Uh, so, it's the hometown team.
1: You, Absolutely.
2: Nate, you were not doing well tonight. Um,
0: <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I striking out. That's
2: awesome. I love Portland. Um, I, um, I went out to Eugene, Oregon. I, I guess it would have been the mid-90s to visit a friend who, who was from there. And, and we stopped in Portland. And I was just like, God, I want to live here. It was so amazing, just the, the environment. And so I hate L.A. <laughs> um, I love the Lakers. Um, I would love to be at the Staples Center and watch a game, but um, I don't like the city. I um I do have this idealized idea of LA. I want to love LA because the LA that lives in my mind is it's warm, it's never raining. the The sidewalks are very even, and I can just go out and about and and maybe Chris and I can can go for a I call it a roll. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm going for a roller on the neighborhood, and um, and so that's my idealized, and, and so I know that you know that is not always the case, but in my mind that is absolutely the case. But Portland is one of my favorite cities, just aesthetically and the vibe. The um, you know when I was there, I think we spent the night and part of a day. It um, the people seemed really just friendly and accommodating, and there was just this vibe and electricity in the city that was just like, this could be home. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Portland definitely has good vibes, but I'm with you. I, I have that idealized LA version of in my head. <laughs> uh, I Chris is constantly trying to get me to move to LA.
2: <laughs> and, and so what, um, what's keeping you in Portland?
0: Uh, fa- family, mostly, um, I guess making that leap without a job is kind of a, a concern, yeah. but
2: what do you, what do you do?
0: I do sales in the semiconductor industry.
2: Nice. Yeah, nice. it's not bad. <laughs> yeah. And so do you, do you find that Are So sales, I always get the, and so it's another one of those idealized, you know, this is, this is the reality. Uh-huh. Um, are, are you, are you oftentimes selling yourself and then the product?
0: They go hand in hand um Mm -hmm. so luckily we represent some pretty good manufacturers that make quality products that people want um so oftentimes they sell themselves but if the person that you're talking to doesn't like you it doesn't go very well (laughs) right so yeah they do go hand in hand but i I gotta ask what how did you become a laker fan
2: you know here's the thing um I pride myself in, in not being a hater. Um, <laughs> no, I'm serious. And so there's some history here. I, um, I, I have actually been to one professional basketball game in my life, and I loved it. I love basketball. And so one professional basketball game in my life, and it was in the, the early 80s, it was actually the very last game that the Kansas City Kings in Kansas city before they, they went out West. And, um, it was amazing. I was, I was like 14, 15 years old and I was in love with this sport. I was like, this is cool. And so very last game, they, they abandoned us. And so when they started, you know, I was a kid and they started selling all the, you know, King stuff in, um, California. I, and so I, you know, I bought it because it was the Kings. And, um, I, um, I recall, um, getting very into basketball at that point. And, and the thing is, is, um, you know, we obviously didn't have a team anymore and I didn't immediately hate the Kings because they were gone. A lot of people hated them because they were gone. And I was like, well, they're still the Kings and it's the, it's the team that I saw. And, um, and so the more I got into basketball, I realized that so many people, Teams at the time had just these unbelievable players, and so you know Kobe comes along, um, Shaq comes along, Jordan, and so I was at the age where I really got to see all of these guys play live. You know, it was on TV, but I got to see, and I got to, I got to kind of participate in in their careers and from that voyeur um, position. And um, you know, I just don't think you can look at at someone amazing and. Oh, they're not on my team. You know. Um someone amazing is someone amazing, no matter who they are, and no matter what they do. And I just am not a hater. And so I I love them. I, I think that they are amazing. They um what are they like? Um did Kobe and those guys was it like seven championships? Or was that overall for the I think Kobe Kobe won
0: five. So franchise yeah franchise might be 7 or more probably more.
2: Right. Um it's mean, just ridiculous. Look at um look at Golden State now. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. who would have thought, you know? And so right. the thing is is, you know, you get these these teams that, you know, kind of, you know, they make this this decision and they, they get this rapport with these players and and management and next thing, you know, something amazing happens and because they're not the hometown team or they're not who you are f- you know, a fan of you know. Oh, I don't like them. You, how can you not? I mean, just unbelievable what some of these guys are doing.
1: Yeah, it's just all around. It's so fun to watch, and I'm growing up. And I like the places, importantly because I live there so to make something. As I've grown older, yeah, it's just. Love it all together. I could almost be a fan of every team, but just a fan of the game more than everything. The all the way from college to high school, men to women. I just love watching it. Everyone competing, all the everything about it. It just I don't know. I love it, man. <laughs> nice. Yeah,
0: growing yeah. up in Portland, it was hard to be a Lakers oh, yeah. fan. It was very hard to root for the Lakers in any regard because they always beat us. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they were the ones that prevented us from winning a championship. <laughs>
2: yeah, so, we, the Chiefs ahead. have that the Chiefs have that rivalry with, well, they, they had that rivalry with Denver and, and, you know, obviously the Raiders and, and so there's always these rivalries and um, I, you know, I wanted to to be a true fan and participate in those and be a Raider hater and all that sort of stuff. But um, you know, Hey, any given Sunday, you know, whatever the, whatever the, the phrase is that applies to whatever sport or whatever thing um, greatness is greatness, you know? That is so true and I growing
0: up I was a Kobe hater. I will not lie. But I always <laughs> I always respected his game because I mean he was amazing. Hands down one of the best players ever to do it. So RIP Kobe. We're actually about a week away from when he passed last year, which is a wild thing to think about as well.
2: Yeah, that seems unbelievable that it was so recent that it you know that it's been a year already Mm -hmm. um unfortunate so young
0: definitely Mm -hmm. um well we have been talking for quite a while now and you know i usually we do a little als update at the end of the show but um robert do you mind sharing what ALS chapters you're a part of and any of the organizations that, that help you out, um, just so that we could share some love to the the Midwest as well.
2: Um, and so it is the, um, Midwest chapter of the ALS. And so it's, it's actually in Shawnee, Kansas, which is only like 30 minutes from where I live. Um, so relatively close. Um, they have been unbelievably helpful, and so when I was first diagnosed, um, my I didn't want to get a hold of them. I didn't want to face that reality. And my girlfriend contacted them, and they were incredibly responsive and very helpful. Um, they've been, and, and so that's the thing: is if you have ALS and you you need that information or that connection, or you know, I think the thing that they gave me that that I will treasure the most is they gave me the facts and they said, this is, this is your situation. And these are the things that you can do, the things that you need to prepare for. And, um, these are the things that will later save your spirit. And and so that has been incredibly amazing. Um, in addition to them, so I, I you know, I mentioned that I, I recently got a new chair and so we, um, we ordered that. And so I got a power wheelchair and, um, it, um, it ended up being $72,000, which costs, right. It costs more than our car. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so initially, um, insurance denied me said that, um, my, um, my insurance said my condition did not dictate the necessity of a wheelchair. And, um, and so, right. We were all shocked. (laughs) Um, ALS association, my doctors, um, and so my doctor called and did a one-on-one with the, the doctor that represents the, um health insurance company and I got my wheelchair like two weeks later. But um and so one of the things um we were talking when when we were talking about cooking earlier and Chris and I were talking about how we cook now, which is by hey, do this, do that, this is yeah. what I want. Um I can reach things now. And so I can reach things because my my chair has a lift and that is the one thing that absolutely is not covered by insurance. And so I was able to reach out to the Gleason Foundation and um with them you 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 so you fill out an application with them, you talk to them, send them, you know, medical records, um, something from your doctor, and um and then New Motion who who ordered the chair and put it together through Permobile. Um, everybody got together and said, you know, yes, he legitimately needs this. He has ALS, and um And this is why it will help in your life. And, um, that was, that was an emotional thing. Um, when they called and said, Hey, this is who, who this is. And we want to talk to you about this lift for your chair. One of the things we we want to know before we, you know, because it's a $1,500 investment to, to have this seat elevator. And, um, they said, um, you know, what will it do for your life? What will, what will you be able to do with it? And, um, you know, at this point, um, I had been in about a year and a half, um, unable to, to stand and embrace my girlfriend. And so she would have to bend down to my, my manual chair that was very low or she'd have to, you know, bend down to the level that I'm sitting at right now. And I told them, I said, you know, the, the seat elevator will allow me to raise myself up to eye level and and give her an actual hug. And, um, I said that alone is, is, is that is the value for me. Um, I don't have the physicality to do a lot of other things or to participate physically in the world, but having that emotional connection with someone that I love, um, I, I would give anything I have for that. And, um, they told me, they said, you know what? Um, you're approved. And so I got my, I got my seat left and um, it's been absolutely amazing. The ALS association can also, um, and I think the whole person, which I think is a a national organization as well, both have great resources for information about organizations that help with the cost of ramps and that sort of thing. Um, And, um, and so there are all kinds of grants that you can apply for if. if you you know if you exhaust insurance or if you don't have insurance, um, I think um, they just passed um, the ALS um, insurance act, stating that um, you know a diagnosis of ALS is instantaneous disability, um, medical benefits, that sort of thing, and so um, that's great that you guys do this because I think there is so much out there. Um, that is available, and, and that people need to know about if they don't know
1: about it. And I would say, there's so much that I learn every day too, because this is uh, my first time having list.
2: <laughs> you know, Chris, you have a you have a great smile. I've been noticing that this whole show. You have a great smile, man.
1: And thank you. Uh, I always joke. After the pandemic, I'm to get a mask with my smile for when I can't smile anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be uh, one of the next <laughs> materials we come out with is a a beckett smile mask. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. <laughs>
0: uh it'd be a top seller for sure
1: oh uh, yeah
2: <laughs> look at that
0: <laughs> all right well thank you again robert this was great i uh, really appreciate your time and your story sharing your story and being so raw and uh talking about such an emotional part of your life with us and can't thank you enough
2: thanks for having me guys
1: it's, it's been a pleasure And thank you so much, Robert. I really appreciate it. Awesome And getting to know you. And also let the people know again where they can follow and listen to your podcast.
2: My podcast is Never Call Me Again. It is available on Apple, Spotify, any anywhere and everywhere that you wanna listen and then um I can be. You can contact. Actually, at Never Call Me Again podcast on Instagram. Perfect. All right, that's a wrap.
1: Oh man! Oh I man! That was a lot of fun. Thank you.